Um, I have another funny story. Of you have a lot of funny. No, it's not Baskin Robbins. It's Froyo. <coughs> so, at this point, Aaron and I were dating, mm-hmm. and we were in, over by her parents, uh, and we were in Goshen, oh, Indiana. Yeah. Yep. And there was this Froyo place by a movie theater there, and I think we went to see movies, and so then we went after the movie to go get Froyo. So we go to the Froyo place, and we saw like a matinee, so it's like mm-hmm. early afternoon. And then Aaron and I get our normal amount. We're just sitting in there eating our froyo. This really large, bald man <laughs> comes in. And I don't even know why this place offers this option. <clears throat> but I swear to you, they had normal size bowls, kid size bowls, and then I'm pretty sure they had gallon sized bowls. What? <laughs> gallon or like pint or something or like no they were way bigger than a pint (laughs) (laughs) jeez this guy fills up like past the brim in height all of strawberry yogurt oh no toppings just oh this big gallon like past the brim strawberry yogurt Mm. And you'd be thinking, okay, he's probably going to, like, sure, get a that. lid for it and take it home or whatever. Right. Nope. Just he put sits a spoon down in, in the store and just starts going at his Holy gallon crap. of strawberry yogurt. I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm I proud mean, of he him. might be dead now. Welcome to Frustration Nation, presented by Shoot Your Shot Sports. We are the FN podcast for FN fans of FN sports teams. Every episode, we explore the heartbreak, horror, and humiliation of what it means to be a diehard fan. I'm your pessimistic host and Chicago fan, Furious George, and I'm here as always with my miserable co-host and that Detroit fan, man in the Michigan hat. So, Michigan Hat, what is going on today? Well, our balls finally dropped last week. We also found out where the Bulls and Pistons will be picking in this year's NBA draft. We take a deep dive into the Pistons organization with Rod Beard of the Detroit News. Also, the Cubs and Tigers are playing each other. Listen to us break it down. But, as always, we have to do our vent sesh. So... I'm going to start, if that's okay with you. Yeah, go for uh, it. I'm... Listen, as we're recording this, the Cubs are clobbering the Tigers, which I'm thankful for. But before this, the Cubs hitting had been atrocious. Uh, I, now, thankfully for me, I was very busy over the weekend, and I honestly missed pretty much all of the Cubs-White Sox series, which normally you wouldn't want to miss as a Cubs fan. Um, I... I have more to say about that later, actually, in a second. So, but everything I was seeing on Twitter and on social media everywhere between the Cardinals series and the White Sox series is basically the Cubs weren't hitting. In the one game that I actually did see a little bit of, the Cubs had the bases loaded and their best scoring chance with the bases loaded, I think there was nobody out, 
was Wilson Contreras' weak grounder to the third baseman who threw it home to the catcher and uh, they went bases loaded then because they tagged out Rizzo. In in any case, it was a very lame excuse to start the inning with the runner on third and the best shot you have is a weak grounder to the third baseman. There's no... The clutch hitting seems to have disappeared. So I, I have no idea. I don't know. It's very infuriating because I know the Cubs are better than that. And there's actually somebody on Twitter I saw who said, like, I know deep down the Cubs are better hitters than what they're showing, but they always seem to show their bad hitting against the Cardinals and the White Sox, (laughs) which, of course, are, like, your two rivals. Which leads me into the other thing that I'm pretty pissed about this week, and that is... I went on Twitter and I said to I responded to somebody and I said it boggles it, he was talking about he was like oh it boggles my mind how the you know White Sox blah 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 compared to the Cubs and I responded and I said <laughs> it boggles my mind how White Sox fans think that the Cubs White Sox is a rivalry <laughs> and basically that didn't sit well with a lot of people did you see this I all? actually did <laughs> see this yeah I read this today <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like. I was just like, now listen, I'm I'm a, I'm kind of reasonable. Like I didn't I don't grill people. Like I try to be I don't want to create enemies on Twitter. But I was just like, the White Sox to me are not a rival. Like we play the White Sox depending on the schedule four to six times a year. Everybody else in our division we play like anywhere from like eighteen to twenty times a year. So don't ever tell me the White Sox are this big rivalry because. We don't, uh, nothing, the Cubs, no matter how, the Cubs could sweep the White Sox and it could have no bearing on the Cubs season or the White Sox season because they aren't in the same division. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, the White, the White Sox winning two out of three against the Cubs, to me, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm upset about it. Not because it was the White Sox, it's just because the Cubs are not playing well and you got clobbered by this team obviously the white Sox are up and coming good for them i don't care that they are the white Sox. that they're from chicago everybody I, I don't understand this whole rivalry and i just don't understand it there, there's no it doesn't make sense to me why you'd be so happy to see the cubs lose or why cubs seems to be so happy to see the white Sox lose when your wins and losses don't impact each other hardly at all yeah. At the most, four, again, four to six games a season. And the rivalry is so stupid that they didn't even play each other until, like, the late 90s when they started doing interleague games. Yeah. So it's it's not like it's this big historic rival. We have one rivalry moment, and that was when A.J. Pierzynski got punched by Michael Barrett, okay? Obviously, that was a fun time because the Cubs were bad and angsty and the White Sox were super good. That's like the closest you can think of a, of a rivalry moment. And of, of course, some people will be like, oh, well, Eloy was traded, you know, for Quintana and this whole thing. It's like, yeah, I don't know. The same story yeah. is around when we trade other people. Like, yeah. If that's your criteria pieces, for a rivalry, you're rivals with every team in baseball. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so it just, it just frustrates me because... I feel like a lot of people make a way bigger deal out of this rivalry than is necessary. And I basically talked about, I was like, when, well, something that bothered me was 
when the Cubs were in the World Series, I had White Sox fans all over the place cheering actively for the Indians to beat the Cubs. A division like, rival to beat like, the Cubs. Yeah, yeah. The Indians are literally a reason that you did not make the playoffs. The Cubs had no hand in you not making the playoffs. Yeah. It, so, it feels then, like... I'm sorry. I'm going to keep going. No, go the, ahead. The other thing is the guy responded to me, and I, he was like, yeah, well, I know a lot of Cubs fans that cheered for the Astros in 05 because at that time the Astros were the Cubs were in the Cubs division. Mm-hmm. And... I just responded to him because again I'm reasonable. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, it, it must be all based on experience because I have never met somebody, I've never met a Cubs fan that I know that cheered for the Astros. And I talked about this with my brother-in-law too. I kind of vented to him <laughs> about this already. I, I told him I was like, I, I could name you uh, three or four people that I know that are Cubs fans that are also White Sox fans. Hmm. I don't know any White Sox fans that yeah. are also Cubs fans. Like, I feel like White Sox fans only cheer for the White Sox and hate the Cubs, but I know Cubs fans who cheer for the Cubs and then also are, like, kind of cheer for the White Sox. Yeah. And I'll admit, I kind of was in that boat until really doing this podcast. I've kind of become a low-key Tigers fan just because I cover them. Yeah. So... Congratulations, Michigan Hat. I guess you've sort of converted me. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's my event. You had something you were going to interject at some point, so you can go ahead. <laughs> no, that's a, I like that event. That's uh, a lot of it, and I mean it's different because college football rivalries are obviously different. But um, with Michigan, Michigan State, like the whole Michigan fans kind of talked down to Michigan State back before they actually kind of dominated us for a little bit and called them little brother and all this stuff. And it's kind of an inferiority complex. And I think you kind of see that with white Sox fans too, like especially being it's been escalated by the run. The Cubs have been on the past several seasons and the world series. The fact that they kind of are seen as the forgotten team in Chicago, even though they've also won a world series somewhat recently. And I think a lot of that is compounded. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of it's compounded by the fact that, yeah, they, I think that it's easier for them to hate the Cubs just because of the national attention they got. Rightly so, you know, but I, I think they, there's kind of an inferiority complex with White Sox fans. Well, I think they need to go over it because, listen, they might yeah. feel like the, the hated, belittled stepchild. But you know who also was a hated, belittled stepchild? Cinderella. So, you know what? Get over it. You're, you're, you're going to be fine. Yeah. I, and uh, listen, I really don't even care if you want to hate the Cubs. I just don't make, I don't, I just personally don't feel a big rivalry. I just don't. Yeah. I don't. And like for me, honestly, I find a bigger rivalry of Bears Lions than Cubs White Sox, which I think a lo- is probably a hot take for a hmm. lot of people in Chicago. Because a lot of people would probably say, no, the Cubs White Sox is a much bigger rival. Yeah. I greatly beg to differ because the Bears play an eighth of their schedule against the Lions every year. Yeah. And even though the the Bears and Lions have taken turns of being really bad, mm-hmm. it the impact they each have on each other's playoff potential is enormous compared to anything that 
I a mean, baseball it, team would, even well, a division yeah. baseball team. Well, but no, especially I, not I was the just White Sox. About this. If you're going yeah. off of, if you're going, if you're looking at the the Lions as an eighth of the schedule, and if you play your team or your division teams around 20 games, 20, 162 games divided by 20 would be about an eighth of the season. Am I mm-hmm. right on that? So basically, a division rival yeah. in baseball Four, is eight. about equivalent to yep. a division rival in football. That's that'd be like yeah. As a Lions fan, if I'm a huge, if I claim that my team has a huge rival of like the Indianapolis Colts, I personally might not like the Colts, but based on how often we play them, yeah, it's just kind right. of a, yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. Yeah, I, I don't. You. I don't really like the Colts, but I'm not like they're not a, the only. There's only two teams that I can say that I am always actively rooting against, even when they suck which they really haven't in my lifetime, but even when they're really not good, I will always cheer for and be happy when the St. Louis Cardinals and the Green Bay Packers lose. Yep. I will always be happy about that. Because that's a real rivalry. That's why. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good. All right. I, I think I vented for a very long time, so let's hear what you have to say. <laughs> no, those are the best vents. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, mine, I'll run through it real quick. Um one I'm gonna save for when I get to the Tigers Cubs talk here in a second. Okay. Um, my first vent, if you're watching the video of this, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm still wearing my Ohio State hat and shirt as a result of losing the cap no cap challenge. I think I have like another week of this left. Um, so yeah, Ohio State. Um, yeah, that's Woo! my my first vent. Just having to see myself on the video <laughs> is uh, it's tough. My next vent is relating to Ohio State Michigan Michigan basketball there was a report by Woj on Twitter the Woj bomb that Jawan Howard Michigan's basketball coach might be headed to the NBA he said quote a possible NBA coaching candidate whose name is gaining traction within front offices Michigan coach Jawan Howard he's obviously a strong resume as a player and later an assistant under Eric Spolstra he interviewed for the Lakers and Cavs before taking the U of M job which is true but uh, just earlier today, a few hours ago, you, I guess it was late this morning, uh, Howard shot this down. He said, no, I coach for Michigan, which any coach is going to do in that situation. But um, I guess my vent and what I'm frustrated with is I'm just sick of the constant Michigan football and basketball coaching rumors and fan panic. So every year we're told Harbaugh is going to go to the coach of the Raiders or the Colts. Or the Browns. There's always a team who the apparently Bears. Harbaugh's. Yeah, apparently well, Harbaugh's leaving to go coach in the NFL every year, and now it's happening to Jawan Howard, and it's going to happen every off season that he's here. That's what happens, Michigan fans, when you have a college coach with a successful pro resume, both as a coach and a player. That's just every team who has a coach with that kind of resume and experience in pro and college has these rumors and deals with these. So why do we every time have to take it super seriously and panic and freak out on forums? Um, These reports are just, frankly, stupid, overdone. I'm getting sick of it. Anyone who believes them year after year is an idiot. And eventually one of these guys or both might actually leave to go back to uh, NFL and NBA. What's kind of silly about it is like, it's not happening, but it's almost like they're wishing it's – they're almost like – they're planning on them leaving so much that they're almost 
they're almost speaking it into existence. Yeah, you're like you're almost disappointed when it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, so. Um, and I don't know. Maybe there's people out there who legitimately want Harbaugh to take an NFL job, so he we can have somebody else, and that's another discussion. But um, yeah, just the constant panic every year over now. It's probably going to be both of these coaches. It's just exhausting right. because then I still listen to Detroit sports radio and podcasts, and there's always all right another report he's going to leave, and then fans call in. Eh, I just can't believe it. It hasn't even happened. The coach shoots it down the same day, and it's just. Um, it's probably not just Michigan fans, but now that it's both of our coaches, it's frustrating. Come, Come on, on, boys, boys get, get to, to the, the box. box. Five, Five minutes, minutes each for unnecessary frustration, frustration, eh? For our five-minute major today, we're talking about, what is this? The Cubs and the Tigers are actually playing each other? That doesn't happen often. So we decided to stop and take a whole five minutes to talk about it. Um so really, oops, what it comes down to for me is, um, well, let me start with the Cubs over the weekend. Uh, over the weekend, they played the White Sox and basically um, played like crap. Uh, they were no good at all. Uh, and even on the one game they did win on Sunday, it really had nothing to do at all with the offense. It was almost entirely because of a magnificent U Darvish start in which he only he gave up six hits and one run over I think it was seven innings mm-hmm. like and even after that Craig Kimbrell and Jeremy Jeffers still tried to lose the game for the <laughs> for the Cubs so it's like still the starting pitching is the only thing that remains your constant now they did get clobbered um Lester got really beat up and so did Hendricks well no Hendricks didn't it was more of the relievers the thing is is like you're gonna have every pitcher is gonna have a few bad starts a season. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is, unless you're like some of like the Max Scherzer, Jacob Degrom, Cy Young seasons. Those are ridiculous. Um, yeah. So I'm not like that concerned. And you, you Darvish is really making a really good case for himself for Cy Young. Actually. Yeah. He's so been, yeah, yeah. So anyway, the Cubs though, their hitting is a problem, and going into them talk. Now getting to kind of talking about the Cubs-Tigers series. The Cubs started off, we just finished watching the game tonight. The Cubs won 9-3. to mm-hmm. Obviously hitting wasn't a problem. So now what concerns me is you're, you're beating the teams you're supposed to beat, which is good. That's like the first mark of being at least a playoff-worthy team. Mm-hmm. But now you're concerning me because now are you not able to beat good teams? Um. We've seen the Cubs rack up a lot of wins against the Brewers and the Reds, who may or may not make the playoffs. They yeah. beat, I guess they've beaten some decent teams, being like the Brewers and the Indians, but they beat up the Pirates. They beat up mm-hmm. the Royals. Like Those are teams you should beat, and they did beat them. So that part is good. Right. But now you've, you did not look pretty against the Cardinals, even though you still won three out of the five game series you did not look pretty at all against the white Sox, even though you still pulled one out and you still had a a net positive homestand mm-hmm. it was not a pretty homestand to but i don't know i'm getting kind of into into it now i think based on everything i've kind of put together here i think the cubs will end up sweeping the tigers this week mm-hmm. um, which is what i picked last week on the scorecast but with these last two minutes shane uh, man, Michigan hat. Why don't you tell us about the Tigers' weekend? Big news for them. 
and what this series looks like. Yeah, so, um, yeah, talking about the weekend, as a whole, the, the weekend was good because we finally get over the hump, whatever that means, against the Indians. So we... Twice. Yeah, we win a series, which is the first time in, I think, like 700 and something days we took a series from them, and it's the first time in over 20 games that we beat them. So that was huge, <laughs> maybe not for like postseason implications or anything, but just as a mental victory or a moral victory yeah Yeah, it's a big hurdle to get over so really happy with how that series played out against the indians especially with them being one of the better teams in the division this the the series against the cubs is going to be tough and you knew that because they're a good team um as far as whether they're a great team or how good they are which kyle talked about uh yeah we'll we'll see but they're a better team than you it's a tough challenge and this first game was rough uh just as i look at the tigers our lineup is just not good uh, Miguel Cabrera, who's supposed to be the anchor and the heart of this lineup, he's making thirty million a year to bat one eighty one going into tonight, and he just moved into number twenty one in the all time RBI list. Which, yeah, he's been a great player for a lot of years, but man, he's falling off way harder than most aging athletes. We don't really have any consistent power in our lineup. I'm really excited for what the young players are doing. Casey Mai started tonight and had some command issues, but. I mean, it's a learning it's experience. It's to be expected. Yeah. yeah, it's a learning experience for him. And uh, overall, I'm excited for the future of the Tigers still. But this lineup this year is not good. And I also think the Cubs are going to sweep the Tigers uh, in for a rough few games. But I'm excited about what they did against Cleveland. We're being signaled by the officials that it's time for a media timeout. So, Kyle, we're... I talked already about the Ohio State stuff I'm wearing, <laughs> but you're wearing something that's a little nicer, at least to me. Right. And uh, you're wearing a couple of things that you got from Shoot Shot Sports Store. So uh, tell us about your Frustration Nation Blackhawk shirt and your new hat. Yeah, so my Frustration Nation Blackhawk shirt, it's a red shirt, it says Frustration Nation, that effing podcast, at real effing podcast in black. And then it also has. Uh, just like a hockey logo with it uh there's other blackhawks ones you can buy at the shoot your shot sports store that have the blackhawks feathers on there so go check that out uh there the hat i'm wearing is not from the frustration nation store it's from the shoot your shot sports store uh which is i guess confusing there's different pages within the shoot your shot sports store Mm -hmm. this hat is from the shoot your shot sports page of the shoot your shot sports store just the network overall kind of merch yeah yeah. And speaking of network, if you notice the uh, logo on our nice. cover art, the the logo for Shoot Your Shot Sports is a basketball net, and a shot glass is being shot into it. So that's the Shoot Your Shot, right? Really solid logo. Yeah. Yeah. It like it is, logo. yeah. So you can buy a hat with it. You can get either a dad hat where it has the curved brim, or you can get flat bill, which is what I'm wearing today. Uh, both have multiple color options. I know the flat bill has more color options. Um, yep. I know Richie, our boss, has like a Cubs colored one, so it has like a blue top and then a red bill. Oh, that's um, cool. I'm wearing one that's all navy because I'm in, getting excited for bear season coming up. Um, so, yeah, go check out all of these great merch, and there's going to be more that's going to be coming. Um, we're working on some Frustration Nation shirts that I'm hoping to get a few more out and then hopefully we'll get some dad bod ones out too. Mm -hmm. Uh, but check those all out at shop at shoot your shot sports. 
uh, forward slash frustration nation. All right. So please go check that out. Support the show. Thank you. Now back to the original programming. All right, today's two-minute morning. We want to talk about the draft lottery now that we've had um, the placement or, I guess, the order announced for the draft. Uh, So, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and start. Tell us about the Bulls pick and uh, what you expect to see from that. Yeah, so the Bulls, this is honestly really big news. The Bulls ended up with the fourth pick. Mm. They broke the trend of getting the seventh pick all the time, and it feels really good to have something in the top five. Um I, I'm really happy with that. Uh, if you guys listened to last week's episode when we interviewed Elias Schuster, he talked about there being a lot of options here, even after the first couple picks. And even at number four, a lot of people are saying they could see LaMelo Ball dropping to four. They could see Wiseman or Edwards and these other ones potentially dropping to four, depending on how things play out. I think that's being a little uh, optimistic. But what I am optimistic about is – uh, Elias's pick for the Bulls from last week, his preference was uh, Denny Advia, I think is how it's pronounced, mm-hmm. and he's an Israeli player, and he's been mocked to the Bulls several times at this point. Uh, so I'm excited about that because Elias knows more than I do, and he was excited about that. So that's kind of where I'm at with the Bulls at four. What about the Pistons? So the Pistons took that seven spot that the Bulls always get, and it sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's You're it's not that it's not that far of a drop. But again, I just will continue to say how much I hate draft lotteries. Yep. Pistons were yeah the fifth best odds as being at ten over ten percent. Um, so it's not a huge fall, but um, yeah, like when you see Chicago, who was had a better record, finish at four. I mean, maybe it's not a huge deal but I continue to just be frustrated with lotteries. Um, But I'm excited to see what we do with the new GM at this spot, and there's a lot of good players. Yeah, so for my final thoughts, uh, the Cubs need to get it together because they are a playoff-caliber team. They They need to be consistently playing together and go into the playoffs with that uh, momentum i guess and as far as the bulls go i don't know i'm i'm over the moon honestly with the fourth pick i know it doesn't sound that glamorous but i'm pretty pumped about it and to see what kind of player they can get yeah tigers it this is what it's like when you're rebuilding uh, i'm excited for the young players our current team kind of sucks and that's kind of what you expect to get so i can't be that upset about it but i still kind of am the, the Pistons, uh, this is going to be a good test for Troy Weaver. You know, picking in the spot where it's a deep draft. There's not a consensus best few players, so the drop-off's not huge. We'll see what he does with it. All right, for our episode today, we have a big overtime with Rod Beard of the Detroit News. Uh, and he's here to talk to you more about the Pistons. Uh, last week, we had Elias Schuster to talk about the Bulls and what their future can kind of look like. And so... This week we're talking about the Pistons, so uh, stay tuned for that overtime and enjoy. So, uh, Shane, you're the Pistons fan. I'm going to pretty much turn this over to you. I will also be here, but Shane, you and Rod, take it away. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, it's good to have you on here, Rod, uh, be able to talk to another Pistons fan. Um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit to intro about yourself. Um, how and when did you start covering the Pistons uh, and just maybe your 
your background as far as a fan of the team? Uh, th- this is year five for me covering the Pistons. And I uh, don't know if I have fandom that goes all the way back. I guess mm-hmm. in the, the Isaiah and Dumars bad boys teams, I was sort of a fan of it. Um, and it, it's just, it's been just like in Chicago. It's been a, a long time since we've been back to those glory days. So it, it's fun covering and, and seeing the different sides of it. Uh, and just been really fortunate to have some coaches like Stan Van Gundy and Dwayne Casey, who are very not so very open. They'll tell you uh, whatever you need to know when you ask questions about things. For sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So you mentioned some coaches and kind of front office. So the big move this off season, obviously was a hire of GM Troy Weaver. So for those who don't follow the team that closely, or maybe don't know much about uh, Weaver, what should Pistons fans expect to see? from him this coming season? Like what impact should we expect to see right away? Well, I think the timing is right now. And they went after him a couple of years ago when they fired Sam Van Gundy and they brought in the new front office. But Weaver was just kind of waiting around. It wasn't quite the time. He wasn't ready just yet. Part of that is his son was still in high school and uh, he was waiting for him to go to college. And now the the timing seems right for that. But uh, given where the Pistons are, they have cap space for the first time in eons since the the, uh, Ben Gordon and Charlie Villanueva years. Uh, if you you can remember back that far, mm-hmm. they finally have cap space and they have a top 10 draft pick. This is the highest they've picked since 2010 with Greg Monroe. So uh, this is the time that sort of feels right for them to, to turn things around. And they traded Andre Drummond, uh, bought out Reggie Jackson. So they're in a movement now where they're trying to revamp the roster, build around Blake Griffin, who has two years and $77 million left on his contract. Mm-hmm. Uh We'll try to build off that the best that they can. But Weaver, uh, for folks who don't know, is the one who kind of ID'd uh, Russell Westbrook as being a breakout star and, and encouraged wow. the Thunder to draft Russell Westbrook when he was thought of maybe as a mid-lottery pick, uh, oh. and they picked him in the top five. Uh, so it was during that same time that they got hard. They had just drafted Durant, they got Harden, uh, and they got Westbrook. And then also the surge of Baca and um, – Mm-hmm. And Adams. So they, they built their roster and uh, all of that behind Troy Weaver and IDing talent that would not only be the superstar talent, but would be the role players that they need to mm-hmm. have the time that they did. And they made the playoffs every year while he was the, one of the assistant GMs. So it, it just wow. shows what level of uh, expertise he has in, in picking out talent and working with Sam Presti. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely a good track record there. Um, so new GM, but obviously same owner and head coach. So what are your thoughts on Goris and on Dwayne Casey and uh, kind of the direction you expect to go uh, under their leadership? Well, for Casey, it's, um, he's just going to give the shopping list to uh, Troy Weaver and say, Hey, here are the things that I need. And here's what the roster looks like. And and Troy recognizes a lot of that on his own, but it's just going to be let Weaver do what he came there to do and what you're hiring him to do. Don't get in his way. Uh, don't say that he can't do that. And for the most part, Tom Gores has been that way. He's mm-hmm. um, signed a check when they needed to go out and get Blake Griffin. Uh, any big free agents that they've gone after, he's really given the okay for that. I think as an owner, he wants to win. It's just uh, they've gone after some of the players that just didn't work out. And that whole iteration of the Stan Van Gundy, those free agents did, either didn't stay very long, didn't work out, uh, or went into this big Blake Griffin deal when his injuries have sort of sidetracked what they've been trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm going to jump in and ask a question. Um, so the Pistons, I know you mentioned earlier that was the, that the seventh pick that they got, um, that they got won the lottery, I guess, for the seventh pick. 
uh, however you would say that they won it. I don't know. Um, but you said that was the highest they've had since 2010, I think you said? Yeah, since Great Monroe. Okay. Um, so we're at seven in this draft. Uh, last week when we talked with um, our Bulls guy, he was telling us that he really felt like the drop-off in this draft from one to seven is not as significant as like last year's draft when you had Zion and John Morant up at the top and then a pretty Mm -hmm. precipitous fall after that. So considering all that, what kind of player do you think they should target and who would, would you hope that they could take at seven? Well, this draft is going to be good in terms of depth. So what you get from three all the way down to maybe 12 or 13 is going to be very, very similar in quality. Uh, there is no consensus, number one. Most people would say Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball would be your number one guy. But then after that, it's just a who knows. And so for the Bulls, the Pistons, uh, for a lot of teams in that 5 through 10 range, there could be a lot of trades. There could be a lot of movement around it when you get other teams in there. So the scouting is going to be important. Having your draft board really locked in, in stone is not going to work for you. you got to be really, really um, careful about what – what you think the draft is going to look like, because it's going to be so much different. Uh, I would say the Pistons need a point guard. Derrick Rose is the only experienced point guard they have on the roster for next year. So they're looking at someone like a Killian, Hay- Killian Hayes or a Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State as, I would I would say, the top two point guards that they're able to get. I don't think LaMelo Ball is going to fall that far. And then uh, Anyeka Okongu from USC, the big man there. Uh, might be somebody that they take a really close look at because they don't have a center on the roster either uh, that that they can carry in the next year. So free agency and draft are going to be the guts of what this roster is going to look like next year or really filling out the rest of it, the pieces of it, uh, because they don't have a lot of point guards and they don't have a lot of centers at all. And it looks like this is Derrick Rose's last year of his contract that they're going to trade him before the deadline too. So they've certainly got to look at a point guard, maybe even two, uh, in between the draft and free agency. Hmm. So speaking of free agency then, like who do you see this offseason that they could sign? And if not this offseason, obviously there's the huge class everyone's talking about in 2021. Could the Pistons put themselves in play for any of those big names in 2021 also? Yeah, I, I would think that it, given that they have maybe $30 million in cap space this year, you don't want to go out and blow it all uh, in one year, and especially given the names that you'll have next year. I would think the more prudent approach is to go out and get either you sign guys to one-year deals and you maintain that cap space next year, or you get a middle-of-the-road guy. So you're not going after Fred Van Bleed. It just doesn't fit with the timeline that you're going to have to – if you sign him for four years, let's say, uh, and you're losing Blake Griffin in two more, that doesn't really fit. They're not ready to win right now, so it doesn't make, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't make a, a lot of cap sense to go out and do it. So maybe they sign a guy for one year and they pay him a little bit extra. But again, they've got so many spots on the roster they've got to fill. Uh, Christian Wood being one of their own free agents that really started to come on toward the end of the year. But they may have to pay him between 10 and $12 million. But they, there, there are variations of that where they could sign him into space. He, they have his early bird rights. So you could do some things with that. But um, that could be part of their big man solution is looking at Christian Wood. But again, it, they're not draft pick-wise, roster-wise, uh, veteran-wise, in a position where they're going to go out and challenge for a, a four, five, six seed next year. So I think this is just going to be the start of the rebuild. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so you talked about uh, Derek Rose and Blake Griffin already. You mentioned them. Um, so where 
you talked about Rose maybe being traded before the deadline next year. Where do these guys fit with them being aging veterans into the rebuild? Um, is there any kind of window you're thinking about as far as contending with either of them? Or uh, is it kind of a foregone conclusion that these are pieces you need to move or move on from? Well, if they can move Blake Griffin's contract, I think they would try to do it. But nobody's taking – with his injury history, yeah. even though he had uh, two years ago uh, an all-NBA season, that I don't think anybody's going to take on that deal. And even if they did, you'd have to throw in draft picks to move that contract. And so it's, it's a tough place to be in is that mm-hmm. you're trying to accumulate uh, draft capital, not get rid of it in, in mm-hmm. sending that contract out. That might be the only way they would do it, though, is if they found a taker for that and they would take maybe a first-round pick in, in two years or something like that. But Griffin can be a, a solid player if he comes back 100% healthy, which it looks like he will. Um, but you've still got to find the other pieces around him. So it's, it's just an out-of-place construction if you don't have the other pieces around Griffin mm-hmm. to make that um, a viable team that's going to really go for the playoffs. And again, not just a number eight seed. That's not going to cut it for what you're trying to do. You've really got to either put the pieces together to make a good run at a, a six seed or a five seed. Uh, or something like that, or you just got to figure out a way to, to sell tickets. Interesting. So <clears throat> we talked about draft and free agency. So then you haven't mentioned this as an option. So I'm going to assume it may not be, but I'm still going to ask, are there any trades that the Pistons could potentially make, whether that's um, just player for player, or is there something where they could package a group of players together, maybe with their seventh pick? Is there any value they could get from trades, or is that not an option for them? It's There are variations where that could work, and I, I tend to think that if they can trade into this draft and get two of those guys that I mentioned, either Killian Hayes, Anna Kongu, or uh, Tyrese Halliburton, Anna Kongu, that would be an A-plus draft for them because they get younger guys under team control for a number of years, but they just don't have the asset for it. Luke Kennard is a guy who – seems to be on his way to get over the hump, but it's just, can he stay healthy? And he's got mm. tendonitis in both knees. So that, mm. that's not good when you're talking to a guy that's 24, 25, uh, and really starting to make his, his move in the NBA. So there are ways they could do it with Christian Wood and maybe a sign and trade. But again, why are you getting rid of players that you should be building around to get even younger players uh, who are going to cost a little bit less? They're, they're just in a really, really tough spot to try to do things. But again, that's why you bring in a Troy Weaver is to figure those things out. And he has that eye for talent. And he's renowned around the league as a talent evaluator and learning in that system under Sam Presti in Oklahoma City. He knows how to balance the books, how to bring the right guys in and to maybe get away with one in the draft that uh, falling from five to seven. And, and I don't have to preach to, to Bulls fans about this. They fell in the draft too. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. spots that um, you, you've got to sometimes find the diamond in the rough and, and even in the, this year's draft where you've got a lot of similar guys, some of these guys might be busts and some of these guys might turn out to be fairly good over the next few years. Mm-hmm. If you make the wrong choice in a draft like this, it could hurt you for a number of years. And again, the Pistons have seen that where they had an opportunity to get out of the Mitchell and Devin Booker and they pass on those guys to get other guys. Interesting. Yeah. It's crazy when you look at certain players where they've been drafted in hindsight and everything. Um, I was going to say too, it's interesting um, I had forgotten that Weaver came from OKC and was working with Presti because I know when the Bulls were looking for their uh, assistant, yep. uh, what, vice president of basketball operations or whatever, I know they were heavily pursuing Presti before they settled on uh, – or not settled, before they chose Arturis Karnaschovas. But 
yeah, so that obviously based on the Pistons going after them and the Bulls, it's clear OKC has a really good nucleus established there. Yeah, and, and the Bulls had looked at Weaver also as maybe being a GM candidate. Oh, okay. too. I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he was one of the guys that um, they wanted to interview uh, in Chicago. So he's he's been around for a number of years and, and been one of the names that people have said when GM jobs open up, his name is going to be on that list just about any franchise in the league. Interesting. Yeah. So as we look to next year, assuming the season plays out as normal, which is the hope for all of us, but um, normal. yeah, assuming we return to some kind of normalcy as far as length of schedule, all that. Um, what does this Pistons team look like? You mentioned eight seed not being enough because we've seen in the playoffs. It, it's just, you're stuck in me- mediocrity, right? Like you don't get yeah. a high draft pick and you never have a chance in the playoffs been swept the three last series. So hoping that it's not that again um are we kind of full rebuild mode is there any chance to contend beyond just squeaking in at the eight seed like what is your feel for what the season will look like well I, I guess in a best case scenario uh you get Blake Griffin back healthy you get Christian Wood back uh you you have a good start to the season and you feel like you can make it and you don't need to trade Derrick Rose and your draft pick works out. I mean, these are a lot of ands, and, 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 and. <laughs> a lot of things have to happen uh, in their favor, and they get a couple of good free agents to, to kind of right. fill out the roster. Uh, a lot of things have to work right for them to be, again, if you're an eight seed, you're just in purgatory and you're walking on the treadmill. Hmm, You've no got right. to start building with that, and the roster construction doesn't lend to it. Again, you only got Blake Griffin for two more years, and if you're not going to get a team to take on his contract, Either you build around it or you make him a mentor and, and try to teach some of these young guys about professionalism and what it takes to be uh, a career baller like that. So I think those are the two options that you have. You need a lot of bands. You need a lot of things to go right. Uh, and you've got to continue this over the next couple of years and use that cap space wisely. But again, I don't know a better guy that they could have to help them to do that than Troy Weaver. It's just going to be how much time does he need to flip this roster really get some assessment of what these guys look like and mm. start moving that forward. And they've got the coach. Uh, Wayne Casey is the right coach for this. Uh, I don't think he signed up to, to be in a rebuild. He came from Toronto so that they could contend almost immediately. And he had the roster that could do it. It just didn't work out. It, it hasn't happened for them at all. Yep. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I think you – obviously, as somebody who writes for the team – you give realistic takes and kind of realistic expectations for what we could look for as fans. But what is your hottest Pistons take? Like (laughs) what is something that might just be completely crazy or um, something that yeah, thought of or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I got nothing for it. Sadly, there there is no hot take. Um, I I could give you more hot takes about the bulls, but uh, it's, it's just not there for the Pistons. And I like the bulls roster. I think they, might just be a small forward away from really starting to put it together and get some help that um, when, when you get Wendell Carter and, and Zach Levine, uh, and it's funny, we, we, I had an argument with a couple of other beat writers a few years ago. Uh, one of the guys said he wouldn't trade a second round pick for Zach Levine when Levine was with uh, Minnesota. And I said, are you crazy? Levine is going to be good in a couple of years. He's averaging 20 points. So uh, to that end, it, it's just, they need help. They need to kind of put it all together. I mean, marketing a new coach. A, well, the coach was probably holding them back more than anything else this past <laughs> year. Um, but yeah, you, you got to get off that coaching carousel. And, and if they get a Dwayne Casey, Casey type of guy who's solid, respected around the league, 
and can really start to cultivate some of that young talent. Uh, and Kobe White is, is certainly a guy that you can build around. The, the young pieces are there. It's just going to take another year or two for them to all gel and be healthy and play together. Cool. Well, you have, I think after our quote unquote Pistons interview, you have me more excited for the Bulls. <laughs> Shane made the Pistons and you should have be. a way to, and, yeah. and you should be. The Pistons have a way of making other teams more excited. Yeah, <laughs> yes. They, when they see them on the schedule, they, they feel pretty excited about it. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think the Bulls have, in, in terms of a rebuild and the pieces that are there, that's kind of where the Pistons want to go is to be excited about a marketing, a, a Carter, a Kobe White. Uh, and, and once you've been in that treadmill for a couple of years, you got to start seeing some of that stuff come to fruition. And I think the Bulls are, are closer to that. Yep. Awesome. Well, Rod, thank you. That's all. You got through all our questions. So thank you so much for coming on. Where can everyone find you and find your work? Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Debt News Rod Beard, D-E-T News Rod Beard. Uh, podcast is called Rod in Real Podcast, and it's available on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, just about anywhere you can find podcasts. And I break down some of the draft uh, lottery stuff and even lottery reform and how they can make this lottery a little mm. bit better so the teams yes. like the Bulls and the, the Pistons, when you finish in the bottom five, you should get a top five pick. It shouldn't be teams that are leapfrogging from five spots uh, behind and jumping over them. Then why are we having a lottery? It, it's not yeah. benefiting yeah. the worst teams. It's got to be for those teams that really need the players. So you can Thank check all you. that stuff out on the podcast. I think yeah. Shane is definitely going to go check that out because his biggest complaint between the Red Wings getting the fourth pick, having yeah. a horrible record. Complete shaft. Yeah. And then garbage. Yeah. The NBA draft. He hates lotteries. So. Terrible. We'll check that out for sure. <laughs> so thank yeah. you again so much, Rod, for coming on. Anytime. I appreciate it, guys. Take care. All right. Thanks, Take man. care. Bye. This overtime was brought to you by nuts.gov. Have you ever wanted a wide variety of legumes and tree nuts but don't have time to leave your home? Have you ever craved those smooth nuts in your mouth but don't know where to find them? Well, now you can if you go right now to www.nuts.gov. It has gov at the end so you know it's reliable. Here's what one of our highest profile customers had to say. Hello listeners, it's me, Bill Clinton. I empty my nuts on a regular basis, so I'm always looking for nuts for me and Monica. I mean, uh, Hillary, to enjoy. There's nowhere better to get my nuts satisfied than www.nuts.gov. Nuts.gov fills all my desirous needs with a nut selection curated by the government. Check it out today. Thanks, Bill. Now you can be just like President Clinton if you order our premium Jeffrey Epstein Did Not Kill Himself collection. But wait, there's more! Order now and you can get the Monatka Lewinsky collection, which includes two large acorns and one premium extra-long Arkansasian cigar you can use for any occasion. That's two large nuts collections for the seductively low price of $69.69. Call nuts.gov today and get a load. All right. So, man in the Michigan hat, let's get into some segments, and I think we're going to start with draft days. With the 
third choice in the 2002 draft, the Detroit Lions suggest, select Joey Harrington, quarterback from Oregon. With the second pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears select Mitchell Trubisky. Things just got interesting. In this segment, we build the best roster we can from a draft class of any topic, sports or not. Debate and discussion will ensue. With today's draft, we will be drafting for each other a dream football team of the best players from each of our fandoms. A poll will be up on social media so you can vote which roster is better. So Kyle, kind of explain like how we're making yeah. these picks for the fans. So basically, I was trying to think of something that Michigan Hat and I could kind of like something that he and I could each draft for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to do, we'll probably eventually do something where we draft for each other of horrible things. But I think it was pretty interesting to do a draft where we're each going to kind of go through the entire histories of the Bears and the Lions, and we're each going to select the best players we can from each of those positions and mm-hmm. just kind of see how those teams line up. So, so kind of for me not knowing much about the Bears, you're you're telling me if I was going to pick like an all-time Bears team, here's the players I should be taking. Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. So uh, here we're picking basically one person from essentially each position in football. So we have a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, a tight end, an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman or defensive end, a linebacker, a safety, a cornerback, and somebody from special teams. So that is all of who we'll be picking. So do you want I don't think there's really a need to flip a coin um for this since we're yeah. not really trying to compete against each other. We're just kind of lining up what we could what we can pick out. So mm-hmm. uh why don't you go ahead and start? Yeah. With so, the Lions. So who's the best Lions QB that I could end up with on my team? Um so there's some di- disagreement about this like a, there would be with any pick, but I'm going to go with Matt Stafford. Um, All right. Not a huge tradition of amazing Lions quarterbacks. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, some would – I don't know. It, it's, it might be a controversial pick. I'm going to put him there. Some would say who else would even – maybe Dutch Clark, I think, is a Hall of Fame quarterback for the Lions. Um, Bobby Lane him. was I've one of the of – Yeah, he was a – at least like a well-respected quarterback. I don't know. I think a lot of it is how you compare eras, which we'll get into yep. during this discussion. So um, obviously with players today, their measurables or their um, their players today are faster, stronger, bigger than they used to be. So I don't know how much of that is in, in my decision, but I think Stafford is the best Lions quarterback we've ever had. Hmm. Nice. I would probably agree with you, but I don't know the whole history of Lions quarterbacks. Yeah. So he's no John Kitna, that's for sure. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about Bears quarterbacks. Who am I looking for? Yeah, so Mitchell Trubisky. No, I'm just Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's rude. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> no. Um so uh Rex for Rex. your Bears quarterback, a lot of people would probably jump to Sid Luckman because he is the only Hall of Fame Bears quarterback that we have, um, he, and I mean, the, the thing is that he's a, he was the quarterback during the World War II era, so yes, he won multiple championships, and he did, 
I mean, he was effective, but uh, frankly, back then, passing was not the main thing that a lot of people did in mm-hmm. the NFL. So, I'm going to choose the punky QB known as Jim McMahon for your Bears quarterback. I like that pick. Again, um, I don't know much about the Bears, but I would have. So, what I'll too. tell you about Jim McMahon is just that. He really did have some offensive clout coming into the league out of BYU, and his attitude and his charisma just kind of, I think, just kind of furthered that. Uh, really, his biggest, the biggest thing that plagued him was injuries. Hmm. Um, I think without injuries, you'd be talking about a Bears quarterback that held a lot more of the offensive records in Bears history. Uh, if you're curious, the Bears quarterback that does hold the most offensive records is Jay Cutler, actually. Yeah. Uh, not to say Jay Cutler's better than Sid Luckman or Jim McMahon, necessarily. I just think Jay Cutler was an effective quarterback and a product of the era where passing became more and more popularized. Yep. So it was easier to get some of those records. For but sure. I think you'd be talking about Jim McMahon more seriously. I don't know about as a Hall of Famer, but more seriously as a more perennial maybe pro bowl quarterback maybe not Mm -hmm. perennial somebody who would have been a a keeper i guess gotcha no i got you yeah i like it yeah so i think we're doing snake style so i'm gonna pick next yeah uh, for you and i am going so we're picking from special teams uh this is an easy decision as a bears fan i i think he's the best special teams player of all time uh at this time, it would be easy to pick kickers because the Bears had a few really good ones in Kevin Butler from the 85 team and Robbie Gold. Yep. Um, not Cody Parkey, uh, but I'm going to select Devin Hester. Um, if you don't know about Devin Hester, you've been living under a rock, and you need to do yourself a favor and look up Devin Hester highlights because even if you're not a Bears fan, you can appreciate what he did. Mm-hmm. Um he holds the record for kick returns in the NFL, uh, which is combining punt returns, kickoff returns, and t- uh, missed field goal returns. Yep. Um, the, the dude was insane. I've never seen anything like him, and you probably never will again because nope. he changed the game. Kickoffs are not what they used to be. Um, so Devin Hester is my selection for your special teamer. Yeah, like you said, a real game changer, not just within a specific game, but change the sport. So, yeah, that's an easy one. Um, I'm going to select a kicker, and it's probably the only bright spot from some of our really bad seasons, and that is Jason Hansen. Mm, So right now we have Matt Prater, who is also a really solid kicker, but Hansen's always going to have a special place for me just because he was so good when the team was so bad. Uh, and he was really good for a lot of years. I, he's, I think he's one of the top five scorers in a, NFL history, which obviously kickers wow. usually yeah. hold that spot. I think Vinatieri is number one. Or yeah, maybe, he is. Yeah, so, it is Vinatieri. Yeah, so it's um, obviously with field goals and extra points, it's nice. Kick, kickers are going to hold those spots a lot of times, but yeah, he's one of the – he might be second or third even. But yeah, one of the best Lions players in general at, uh, of all time. So yeah, Jason Hansen. When did he retire? Do you remember? It's got to be at least like six or seven years ago now. Let me okay. See. I was just curious if he played it all in more of this newer era where the extra point is 
mm, no, further was, away. Because he's okay. 50 now. and he. Uh, oh, okay. So he's the same age as Adam Vinatieri. Yeah, his last <laughs> season was 2013 he retired. Okay. So seven years At ago. the time of retirement, he was the oldest active player in the NFL. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah. gotcha. Cool. So then you're going to pick a running back for me? Yep. I wonder who you'll pick. <laughs> yeah, this uh, <laughs> this is probably when you look this at this category. Of yeah, overall. Devin Hester was obviously an easy pick, but this category in general, I mean, we bo- we both know who each other is going to pick. <laughs> so I'm going to select Carry On John. No, um, obviously, he's no, he's not. But, but he's no, he's Barry, no Sanders. Barry Sanders. Yeah, one of the best running backs in NFL history. Feel which, the burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sanders 2020 yeah. yeah uh so I mean no explanation even needed here obviously exactly. he's he's the Look best highlight ever and he's one of the best running backs ever so easy to pick here yep. what about the Bears what am I picking for your running back hmm. hmm actually the Bears do have a few you could choose from um Gail Sayers Montgomery. is a Gail Sayers is a notable one who's a hall of famer um Red Grange is another yep. hall of famer Bronco Nagurski, another Hall of Famer. Um, mm. A lot of people, he's not, he will never be a Hall of Famer, but Matt Forte was really good in his time with the Bears. He was, but yeah. Obviously, it's going to be Walter Payton. Um, honestly, when you look at these two, listen, I know people, especially annoying Cowboys fans, are like, <laughs> Emmett Smith holds the rushing record in terms of yards, but the difference is that Emmett Smith ran behind a good offensive line. Yeah, the Bears and the Lions. I don't know about the Lions, I guess, but the Bears never had that. I'm assuming oh, the Lions no. probably also never had that. Most so, of his runs, he like his. If you look at his highlights and his best runs, he was getting hit like four yards in the backfield. Uh, yeah, so yeah, same both with these the, players were good despite their offensive lines, not because so, of. So, so what I was just gonna say is, it in my opinion, when I hear the greatest running back of all time argument. I honestly never hear Peyton versus Emmett Smith. I hear Peyton versus Sanders is usually what I hear. Yeah. Uh, sometimes Jim Brown is thrown in that mix as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the fact it, it's so interesting that we have our two teams have two of the best, if not the two best, running backs of all time. Yeah. And Sanders retired prematurely. He could have ended up potentially with was he would he have had a shot at the all time rushing record? I think so. I'd have to look at what pace he was okay. on. And that might be part of the reason, which I would be okay with, people giving Peyton the edge, and that's part of the reason why. Um, it's splitting hairs between these two guys, though. Two of the best ever. Oh, yeah. Probably, I would say the two best ever. So, yeah. yeah, easy picks there. All right, so next up, I need to choose a wide receiver. and Or no, we're going corner, right? Oh, yes, you're right. I'm sorry, cornerback. Oh, good, because a wide receiver I'd have to think about for the Bears a little bit. A cornerback is an easy decision for me. Uh I will say there are a few guys from the 85 team that were really good. Um, Mike Richardson is the one that comes to my mind. Um, Nathan Vasher from the mid-2000s Bears was good. But Nathan Vasher was the cornerback number two because cornerback number one was Charles Peanut Tillman. Mm. Um, And this dude, actually, this is uh, pretty recent news. Mike Brown, who used to be a Bears safety uh, he was on a podcast recently, and he shared that he believes that Charles Tillman could and should be a Hall of Famer hmm. because of the way he changed the game. Because it wasn't until the the peanut punch that other cornerbacks 
and um, I guess other backfield defensemen started tackling while also punching at the ball. And that's and huge you, now. They still yeah, refer to it time. as that, obviously. So yeah, yeah, the peanut punch. Yeah, so that's like it's yeah. it's your signature thing, and everybody does it. It's I. It's hard to argue with his stats that he should be Hall of Fame, but the impact of the game really yep. was there. So yeah, I agree. I I see that that and you like your legacy. Oh, yeah. on the sport as being big factor. So I like that pick. Um, I'm going to go, the Lions actually have several Hall of Fame cornerbacks who were all pretty much before my time. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, you've got Jack Christensen. Um, most people would probably put Lim Barney, who I've was from the I've 60s and 70s yeah, as the number one. I'm going to go, he was from, he didn't play very long, 60 to 65. But just partly because his name too, but also kind of the uh, notoriety and the name recognition in Detroit too for Dick Night Train Lane, nice. uh, Hall of Fame wide receiver, um, All Decade team for the '60s, um, three-time Pro Bowl selection. Uh, there's so many good corners in Lions history, uh, but he has That's an awesome name and a big resume, and so yeah, Dick Night Train Lane. Cool. So then after that, I think you're selecting a wide receiver for me. Again, I wonder who you'll select. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this one. <laughs> if Barry Sanders wasn't the best Lion of all time, pretty clear. Uh, I, well, I would say Barry was the clear number one Lion of all time. Our second best wide receiver, Calvin Megatron Johnson. Yeah. Um, and this he's obviously a more recent example. So for us being younger fans, it's even that much easier to pick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one of the best receivers in NFL history, in my mind, or at least the most talented and gifted NFL receivers. So, yeah. Well, it's my turn to turn to select a Bears wide receiver for you, and I feel like the Bear, like Allen Robinson, who the Bears have right now, is a really good wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, the wide receivers from the '85 Bears, like I know their names, but I've never seen anything from them that I was like, oh my word. And yeah. r- really, you can't go much past that because wide receivers were somewhat irrelevant and the Bears didn't have any good ones. So when I look at the field of Bears wide receivers that there are, uh, unfortunately, I see some wide receivers kind of the same way th- the White Sox have treated star players. Like when the White Sox mm. signed Adam Dunn and Ken Griffey Jr. after their prime, um, the Bears had Moose and Muhammad and... Yep. Uh, Brandon Marshall, both kind of at the back end of stuff. So maybe it's for my own lack of... Oh, no, I know who I'm going to select. He's not really a big name, no shot at a Hall of Fame, but he was a really fun bear and had a lot of very fun plays, big plays, and he was the wide receiver two to Musa Muhammad, and that was Bernard Berrien. Ooh, that's a good one. Played for so, the Vikings. He started for the Vikings, right? Was his for maybe where he played first? I yeah. think he went to the Vikings after. I think huh. he started with the Bears. Oh, did he? Okay. So yeah, I mean Bernard Berrien definitely isn't screwing you over, but he's no Hall of Famer. Yeah. But the Bears don't really have any Hall of Fame wide receivers, so I got you. No, that's good. All right. So next, I'm going to select a safety for you. And when it comes to safety, I mentioned Mike Brown earlier. He's a good option. Um, but really, I'm going to go to the 85 Bears for my safety. Uh, Dave Duerson and Gary Fensick were your safeties there. 
and uh, they both were really good at what they did. Um, but uh, and I I would also throw in Eddie Jackson of the current Bears oh, yeah. uh, into the mix because he's been really good, and a lot of people have said that they think he's going to have a career like Ed Reed, hmm. um, which would be amazing. Yeah, um, that's a good comparison. Yeah. So uh, maybe in a few years I would select Eddie Jackson here, but for now I'm going to go with Gary Fensick nice. as your safety. So I'll correct something I said earlier when I was mentioning like best Lions corners and defensive backs. Yeah, he was listed as a defensive back, which is why I read his name off. But he, I actually have him slotted here as my pick for safety, and that's Jack Christensen. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, he was. This was during the '50s, but he led the league in interceptions. Um, from 53 to 57 um he also led in punt returns for touchdowns so i mean he's not my special teams pick but that's just a bonus um he actually held the nfl record for eight punt returns for scores Um, wow he's still fourth on the list obviously hester (laughs) who you named earlier i'm sure is ahead of him but uh yeah so overall talented player on special teams and defense hall of famer and yeah he's a defensive back but he's specifically listed as a safety um, before my time, but I'm going to select select Jack Christensen. Nice. I like this draft. This is kind of fun because we're not yeah. like we're not like competing. We're just really talking about our the history of our team. It's more of a trivia thing. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. All right. All right. So you've got a tight end for me, if you know what I mean. <laughs> show me your tight end. I'll show you mine. <laughs> you got a tight end for me. Um. <sighs> wow. Okay. This is one where. At least in recent Hawkinson. years, the Lions. Yeah, the Lions have been really unsuccessful picking tight ends in recent years. Ebron. Because, yeah, they picked Ebron, uh, Pettigrew, and Hawkinson within like a decade. Were all top ten overall picks, uh, or at least first round picks, maybe. I don't Hawkinson know. I looks like he could be good. I think he will be, and but I, he I, only has a, one year of film. Yeah, there's a chance he he's already has an injury which hopefully it doesn't turn into an injury history but yeah i'm excited for what he'll do um but we really don't have at least in recent years a history of success at tight end but this is back again 60s and 70s but i'm gonna select charlie sanders who is a hall of famer uh he's part of the nfl 1970s all decade team pro pro bowler seven-time pro bowl selection so big resume household name in detroit uh, sports history so mm-hmm. yeah charlie sanders now i know the the lions won at least one championship before the super bowl era mm-hmm. um when what like what decade did that take place i'm trying to remember when the first super bowl was so the lions the first um, well this year would there. be is this year The first Super Bowl was 1957. Because um. they did win at least one, I'm pretty sure. Okay, I found it. So the Lions have won four championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won. This is crazy. So they won one in 1935, and then check this out. They won in 1952, 1953, and 1957. <laughs> Dynasty. Yeah. No, I mean really. Yeah. 
That's pretty cool. Which a lot of these players I've been, uh, not a lot. Most of them have been 60s and 70s. But somebody, I think it was Christensen, played during that era. That's cool. I'll have to remember that for the rest of my picks as far yeah. as checking dates. So, yeah. All right. Well, my tight end for you is he's been way more popularized post his tight end career. But his tight end career was Hall of Fame worthy. Um, and that is the coach, Mike Ditka. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going there. Iron yeah. Mike Ditka. It's a good one. Uh, I mean, the him as a coach was such a character that you gotta like. Part of it is just picking him because of that. Um, but really, when it comes down to his numbers and the impact he had on the game, he was the best tight end at the time. Hall of Fame tight end career. He. Um, yeah, Mike Ditka, an easy choice. I had heard um, Greg Olson was the first Bears tight end to be selected with their first round pick since Mike Ditka. Wow. So, yeah, so basically Mike Ditka was a very important player for the Bears. Yep, for sure. And so then, an, an important name to have on the list, just based yeah. on name recognition. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, speaking of name recognition, I'm going to keep up this very hard-nosed Midwestern lineup here as I give you your linebacker. And there's a lot of linebackers to choose from from the Bears. There's there's lesser-known ones like Bill George, and then you also have, obviously, Brian Urlacher, Mike Singletary. Mm -hmm. Um, More recently, Khalil Mack is technically a linebacker. Uh, There's a lot you can go from, but... The one person I didn't mention that has to be on this list, you gave me a dick, so I'm going to give you a dick, and that is Dick Butkus. <laughs> nice. I thought you might go Erlacher, but that's probably just some recency bias, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. If uh, you saw like the way Dick Butkus hit people, hmm. man, I... I it would be I'd be hard pressed to choose against Dick Butkus to yeah. for your linebacker. Yeah, no, that's a solid a solid choice. Like you said, obviously yeah. a tradition there. Which when we transition to the Lions, there's less options to choose from. Which yeah, yeah, just speaks to history of yeah tough Bears defense. So Detroit linebackers. So there's a couple different ways I thought about going. Um, Chris Spielman has been somewhat more recent. He was in the 80s and 90s. So okay. at least in my very young lifetime um he was a pro bowler um but yeah not i'm gonna go he's not as decorated as who i am gonna pick and that is joe schmidt who's from 1953 to 65 so during that championship run we talked about Uh personally i don't know much about him other than just the name recognition but he is a hall of famer 50s all decade team nfl champ two-time nfl champion um, it's about all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, lineman of the year, eight-time first-team Pro Bowl, ten-time Pro Bowl selection. So, way before my time, but um, a resume that's rare with Lions as far yep. as championship wins. So, yeah, nice. All right. So then, I think you have to give me an offensive lineman. Okay. <sighs> offensive lineman. So yeah, any position right it could be guard yep tackle anything anyone on the o-line minus Mm. the tight end if the tight end were to line up there i'm trying to think of recent because i've been (laughs) unfortunately naming a lot of older players (laughs) um 
There's not like one legendary offensive lineman either who is like, yeah, clear. I mean, there's I mean, some Hall of Fame offensive linemen, but not like household names. Well, that's how I mean. That's how I feel about with the Bears too. I mean, mm-hmm. I know who I'm going to select for you, but I don't necessarily yeah. think I don't know if he's Hall of Fame, and I don't know. Yeah. So. Ugh. I want to pick somebody who I actually like am aware of them more from their experience. Yeah. But there's nobody who's like nobody who ranks at least close enough that I can justify taking them over an older player. Uh huh. So man, it's kind of, yeah, sad how difficult this is. I'm going to go and I know nothing about him, but he's a hall of famer. Lou, (laughs) Lou Creekmer. From oh, 1950 wow. to 59. Of so course. we talked about like old, <laughs> the old Lions yeah. dynasty. Well, he was there for all three NFL champions, so, championships. So he's a three-time NFL champion, an eight-time Pro Bowl selection. Um, I mean, his resume looks okay. So I hope he's <laughs> sol- a solid pick. But unfortunately, I can't give much insight uh, nice. other than just seeing his name before. <laughs> but <laughs> Lou Creekmer. Nice. <laughs> it's <laughs> a great name <laughs> what about you for the bears all right for my offensive lineman i'm going to select center um olin Krutz. Hmm. uh he was on the mid-2000s bears that went to the super bowl against the colts um he he's just he was just a solid player uh he went to the pro bowl a bunch let me look up exactly i'm not sure exactly the number he went to but he went to several um he was a six-time pro bowler every year from 2001 to 2006 um and he was just he not only was he an offensive lineman but he was a leader Mm -hmm. um which you don't often see from offensive linemen exactly uh he was a very vocal leader and uh, for anybody who's listening that's a Chicago fan, if you've ever listened to him on 670 The Score or NBC Sports Chicago post-game stuff from the Bears, he is, like, super, like, brainy about mm-hmm. football and about the Bears specifically. Like, to me, he is the way, like, a catcher is about baseball. Like, the catcher is usually, like, the smartest, like, baseball player on the field. Yeah. You know? And Olin Krutz is just, like, so – he's he's – I feel like he's almost genius level intellect when it comes to football smarts. So whether it's his play or the combination of that, that's who I'm selecting for your offensive lineman. Didn't hear. I'm I'm trying to find a name really quick. I want to verify this before I. Okay, never mind. Okay, I forget that. Okay. <laughs> for some reason, I thought Jake Long played for the Bears for a little bit. Kyle Long. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I just thought it looked Kyle Long. What position did he play? He was an offensive lineman. He'd okay. Be, he'd be up there, but he had a Jake lot of Jake Long was, uh, yeah, a former Michigan player and really good mm. offensive lineman. So, I, I just was making sure I knew which guy it was. So. Okay. All right, so then I need to choose for you a defensive lineman or a defensive uh, end. Yeah, and, which I feel like there's a lot of good choices. Oh, yeah. And most – I mean, if I went from, like, 
more recent bears, like the current bears, you have Akeem Hicks, who's a yep. good pick. Mm-hmm. If you go further back, you have Julius Peppers. Uh, if you go mm-hmm. further back from that, you have Otto Wale Agunlie and Tommy Harris. Bless uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you. There's a lot that you can choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to park myself at the 85 bears because, again, at that team, you have so many to choose from. Yep. Even just from that one team alone. Um, so when I look at defensive linemen from the 85 Bears, there's three names that stand out, and that is William Refrigerator Perry, Richard Dent, and Dan Hampton. And I really would love to select William mm-hmm. Refrigerator Perry, but he's more notable for everything he did other than defense, really. Yeah. <laughs> With scoring a few touchdowns, one in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I'm down to Dent and Hampton, and this is not from my own knowledge or watching old film or whatever. This is from hearing about that Super Bowl season from so many people. I'm going to go with Dan Hampton as your defensive lineman. Hmm. Um, Almost at everybody that I've talked to, they'll talk up Richard Dent for sure. Richard Dent, Hall of Famer. He was the Super Bowl MVP, Um, but... Dan Hampton was known as Danimal for a reason, and everybody, everybody I talked to that watched that team has said that Dan Hampton has been a, incredibly underrated, that he was, like, the best player on that defensive line. Hmm. Uh, Dan Hampton is also a Hall of Famer, um, yeah. but he's, for some reason, not recognized by Bears fans, like, as favorably as Richard Dent, and I don't really know why that is, but hmm. Dan Hampton, you made the list. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for listening, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. This might be a controversial pick. I think I know. I think <laughs> from the beginning, I think I know, I thought I knew who you were going with. Yeah. And now, and this is one I tossed around for a while. Um, so maybe older Lions fans would disagree. Uh, I mean, there's some <laughs> there's some household names. Um, yep. I don't know. Maybe if you Robert Porcher, Al Baker. I think Bubba Baker was his nickname. Um I don't know if you want to say uh, Roger Brown was a defensive tackle back in the 60s. So unless you want to go with one of those old names, though, which none of them is like. Which so much uh, of your team has been. Right. If you don't want to go with one of those, like, basically in my mind, none of those guys is legendary enough or noteworthy enough that it's somebody I have to pick. Uh, So I'm going to make the case that Ndamukong Sue is the best defensive lineman the Lions have ever had. Yeah. Uh, obviously a controversial player. He really stomps the yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really provides the defense with that kick you need. Or yep. the, yeah, a kick start. Um, yeah, obviously a controversial player. His time in Detroit was kind of remembered. Maybe a little bit of a sour taste in the mouth for the way yep. he left. Uh, but, man, he was a force on the defensive line. As When you talk about, like, uh, defensive like guys who play in the middle of the defensive line, being able to rush the passer, you don't see that a lot, especially in today's NFL. You're more seeing like run stoppers and people who just kind of clog up the middle. But the way that he was able to disrupt the offensive line coming through the middle was uh, something I don't think I'll see again from very many other defensive tackles. Yeah, he was and, a force uh, to be reckoned with. Yeah, he was uh, a monster for the Lions. And again, a bright spot on a team that wasn't very good, but kind of a team that was able to kind of turn the corner a little bit uh, early in his career and 
I'll kind of have a soft spot for him as a young Lions fan remembering the way uh, it felt <laughs> to watch him on the field. So, right. yeah, I'm going to go, yeah, Ndamukong and Sue. Nice. That's a good pick. Okay. Well, that is our draft. So, final to kind of round this out, my Lions team that Shane has assembled for me is Matt Stafford at quarterback, Barry Sanders at running back, Megatron at wide receiver. And I'm going to stop there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you might as well. <laughs> yeah. Charlie Sanders at tight end, Lou Creekmer, that Legendary. sweet man at <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> offensive line. Um, Ndamukong Sue is my – was he a defensive end or a lineman? He was a tackle. Okay. Yeah, defensive tackle. Joe Schmidt as my linebacker, Jack Christensen as my safety, Dick Lane as the cornerback, and Jason Hansen as my kicker, my special teams player. Nice. So my team I have got that Kyle selected for me is Jim McMahon, Walter Sweetness Payton, Bernard Berrien, Mike Ditka at tight end, Olin Krautz. Krutz. Krutz. <laughs> I was not paying attention enough. That's Olin okay. Krutz on the offensive line. Um, Dan Hampton, Dick Butkus, Gary Fennick, Charles Peanut Tillman, and Devin Hester. It's Gary Fensick. <laughs> Fensick. <laughs> Get it right. Oh, yeah. Fennick, I said. <laughs> yeah, you're like Fennick. I'm just intentionally disrespecting your team. I'm going to pronounce all these wrong. Dick Bootkus. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Olin Krauts, you said. Like sauerkraut. <laughs> like, that's what you thought of. Which is hilarious because he's, he's Hawaiian. Like, there's no shot he's German at all. <laughs> Devine oh, Hester. <laughs> Charlie the Tillman. <laughs> the Peanut? <laughs> Megatron. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, that was another segment of Draft Days. All right. Well, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to bring back Cap or No Cap. <laughs> So, in this segment, uh, Michigan and I will take turns describing the hat or logo of any baseball team from around the world, uh, and we're going to keep tally um, to whoever gets to 10 points first, uh, and then the loser will face a punishment determined by the winner and the listeners. So, man in Michigan hat is wearing his Ohio State gear as his mm. punishment from losing the last cap or no cap. And since he's enduring his punishment now, we felt like it's a good time to go ahead and bring it back, start a new saga. So, let's go. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Hmm. I want you to describe yours first. All right. And I have, I'm really feeling the pressure to get off to a good start, because I do not want to endure another punishment <laughs> <laughs> after this first one. So. All right, so... I'm going to describe to you a hat, okay. not a logo, a hat. So this hat is uh, all red, and it has a yellow button on top. Okay. The design on the front of the hat is honestly pretty unique. Uh, when I think about it, it, it's a big green heart, and kind of looks like one of those Valentine's Day candies. Oh, yeah, the like dark. Be Mine or whatever. Yes. The, <laughs> those are the, gross. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dark green outline to the heart, and then the inside of the heart is like, it's like lime green, but it's like a pastel lime hmm. green. Um, and then the inside of this heart, there are two chili peppers doing something that I'm not sure is botanically correct. It appears as though these chili peppers are making love of some sort, but I don't know that uh, plants and fruits and vegetables normally reproduce in this way. Um, But that's what these two chili peppers are doing. Mm. Uh, And then above this heart with these baby-making peppers is a baseball sun. So there's a baseball, and that is the the circle of the sun, and then there's... The rays, rays of the sun coming out from behind the baseball. The rays of the sun should definitely be baseball bats. That would be awesome. That would be cool. Huh. Okay. So, <laughs> cap or no cap? There is a lot going on in this Red Hot Chili Peppers logo. Not a sponsor. Um, Dream of Californication. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, my initial thought is cap. I don't think this is legit. A heart with peppers and a baseball sun. It's just too much. Um, I may be wrong, but I'm going to guess Cap. This sounds like you made it up. It does sound like I made it up, but I didn't. Oh, no. (laughs) So, let me me go to the notes. All right. So, (laughs) this... Wait. What is that? <laughs> what? I don't know. Doesn't it look like the peppers are making love. It does. They're <laughs> intertwined in a yep. in a way that's beautiful and seductive. <laughs> like I said, not botanically correct. <laughs> how do so, pe- Daddy? How are this? peppers made? <laughs> Listen to this wow. episode of Frustration Nation to find out. <laughs> That's crazy. All right, so this is the Reno Corazones. And <laughs> so they're part of the minor league baseball is doing their own, like, cup of some sort called Copa de la Diversión. Okay. And that's what this is. So whatever – I don't even know what the regular Reno minor league team is, but hmm. basically they have a Spanish version of this of the- team for this cup that they're playing for huh so it's like a an alternate team of the farm team yes huh interesting yep i had never heard of that league well it's the regular minor league it's just the special cup that they're doing oh i get so i think it's kind of like how major league baseball has done yeah like games in mexico before Mm -hmm. okay i think it's the same kind of concept oh that's cool Interesting. So I, I get a point on that, so we got to see if Shane fools me. I need to. I can't go down to nothing. <laughs> I'm still serving my first punishment. All right. All right, Kyle. What I'm describing is a logo. All right. So this starts with two crossed baseball bats on the bottom, like how a pirate flag is the crossed, like yeah, the, the skull bones, crossbows. crossbows yeah. So then the logo on the front is a it's either a lynx or a bobcat it's whatever one has like the long tufted ears um but this head of this bobcat or whatever is over the top of these two cross bats the i I don't know i guess it's supposed to look scary 
but the face on the bobcat he just looks kind of like you know the old peanuts cartoons that has like the wavy mouth like yeah it's just made yeah, up yeah, of yeah. like arrows or whatever yeah. so he's got that face so he just kind of ends up looking <laughs> just silly you know um like his eyes are like angry like he's supposed to look aggressive but he just kind of comes off as goofy so he's over these two baseball bats and the background is a big green mountain so kyle is that cap or no cap wow this is this is tough because the thing is like nor like you've you've before described ones that are sound extremely realistic but mm-hmm. they end up being ones you made up but this is one i don't know this is another one that just sounds like one that would really exist so i'm gonna go ahead and say no cap that this is real that is correct yes <laughs> oh. Sweet. go down to nothing all right so here let me all right <laughs> upload the image so you can see this all right all right this is the lynchburg hillcats uh, so they're a minor league team in Lynchburg, Virginia, and oh my, they are what the heck? <laughs> they're the Class A team in the Carolina League and a farm team of the Cleveland Indians. It looks like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah, it has like that old cartoon look. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. But the Hillcats have a it's a hill in the background, I guess. Oh, they're Hillcats instead of Hellcats, Hillcats. Oh, and that's so, lame. I thought you said Hellcats. I was like, sweet. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's the Hillcats, H-I-L-L. Oh, that's a dumb name. But it's in Lynchburg, Virginia, so I mean, I don't know if it's the mountainous area there with... Well, so Kyle starts off this new saga up 2 nothing, but, but, man, Michigan hat, you were up by two at one point and the other yeah. before the tides kind of changed so true true we'll see we'll see what happens i have we'll to change my approach or do something i'm in a little bit of a slump with how i ended last yeah, yeah you yeah. really are i'll have to think of like a new approach or something yeah, yeah. Huh. all right so next up is uf an idiot appropriate It's time for UFN Idiot. Every week we select an absolute moron from the past few weeks in sports and shout about them in this segment. Here we go. So my FN Idiot this week is probably the biggest FN Idiot of the entire sporting world. If you didn't hear about this, you, again, like the whole Devin Hester comment, you're living yeah. under a rock. Uh, Tom Brenneman, the play-by-play TV announcer for the Cincinnati Reds um he uttered the word was uttered people have said uttered sounds like it was an accident but it sounded pretty intentional but the point is is he said a homophobic slur on and it was caught on on the air like they the Cincinnati Reds came back from a commercial break and turned yeah right as he said this slur and uh yeah, so people were obviously not happy with it. And to make it even better is he uh he they 
this was a double header that the Reds were playing. So he called apparently the entire first game before they like the Reds PR got a hold of him. And it was like halfway through the second game, they were like, Tommy, you need to apologize to everybody. Right. So he stopped in the middle of the game and he's like, uh, apparently I said something earlier. Apparently. I'm very sorry. I don't know if he said apparently. <laughs> okay, I'm yeah, but he said, no, I, I said something earlier. It does not represent who I am. I pride myself as a man of faith as Castellanos hits one out of here for a home run. <laughs> right. <laughs> Mid-apology. He sounds yeah. like he's like most the most solemn home run call of all time. Yep. As Castellanos hits one. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, he's like, Castellanos hits one, and it will be a home run. And he gets right back to his apology. And then, to make it, things even worse, instead of apologizing to like the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. the people who he apologized to, he said, I apologize greatly to the people who write my paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you do. Yeah, right. I, I bet you do. You're, you're focused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh. But he knows, he knows it's coming because he yeah. said in his apology, he's like, I don't know that I'll ever wear this headset again. Yeah. And he said, I don't know if it'll be for the Reds. I don't know if it'll be for... Because he's also a uh, a broadcaster for Fox NFL games. Yep. So he said, I don't know if it'll be for Fox. I don't know if it'll be for the Reds. If I'll ever broadcast again. Yep. Uh, it was a man that, if you listen to the apology, it sounds like everything was settling in, in his brain. That, like mid-apology, he realized yeah. how oh, serious this was. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's the reality of people complain about the cancel culture and stuff, yeah. but if you're a broadcaster, you're well aware of the, the social climate and the culture today and what things you are and are not allowed to say if you want to keep a job. And yep. the whole excuse of, that's not who I am. I mean, if you're making a con- – that might not be what you wanted to say on the air, obviously, and you didn't do that on right. purpose. But to argue that you never would have said that and that's not who you are, you're clearly joking about it between innings with other people. Also, so, I, I can't say this because I've never been to broadcasting school, but everybody that's been criticizing him that has, has said the first rule they teach you is assume every mic is hot. Yep. Like, never say anything you would regret if somebody, if everybody heard you. For sure. And yeah. he cl- clearly was not abiding by that. <laughs> so just yeah obviously a good selection for fn idiot of the week because it's just a moronic thing to do um and he realized that mid-apology so yeah yep. so who's your fn idiot i have another one that i could get into later all right well yeah we'll come back to that yeah mine okay. is everybody in the philadelphia 76ers organization this is uh, front office, coaching, players. We actually, I wrote this and selected them as my FN idiot before I saw today that they fired their head coach, which seems like mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it was inevitable. But again, how much of this is the coach's fault? So basically the reason I selected this is because you remember back when they were clearly trust tanking the process. and the yeah. trust the process. Yeah, it's like they were the example of, okay, a lot of teams obviously tank and try to play for a draft, but they were yeah. the most blatant example of, they came out and told people they were tanking, basically. Well, the one year, it was a question as to whether or not they would win double-digit numbers in games. Yep. And so... They just squeaked... I think they ended up with, like, 11. 11 wins. or something, yeah. So, clearly tanking. Um, and even came out and told people, hey, trust that our tanking is going to work, basically, because 
it's it's gonna pay off we're gonna get these high profile draft picks they did it looked like end up getting high profile draft picks and building a pretty solid Okafor, roster for Embiid and Bef- Simmons yeah before and uh didn't they didn't they were they the ones that drafted uh Fultz yeah Markel Fultz I believe yeah, yeah he was so basically you do you get this process to get several high profile draft picks and you put together what looks like a good roster but now <laughs> underachieving just swept by uh Celtics a, an injured Celtics team yep you look like completely embarrassed yourself and the city of Philadelphia um and it's it's like this is the team you built this is the team you told fans to trust that your process would get them and yep. now after trusting the process it's time to rebuild again. It, mm-hmm. And Bede's going to be shipped out of town, most likely. Uh, <laughs> it's the kind of thing where you don't even have a chance to be mediocre for several years. It's yep. already clearly fallen apart. And that's pretty disappointing for a team that tanked as drastically as they did. You'd think yep. you'd at least get a, some sort of semblance of a window. and <laughs> just right. Or at least down. one year where you have a serious run. Yeah. But I, just, I don't think they've even made a conference finals. No, have they? They might have won one made, or two series, playoff yeah. series. Uh, I mean, they went. They were eliminated by the Raptors last year in the finals, conference finals, right? No, or was that that wasn't even the conference finals? It was Raptors. So, Bucks was the conference. Finals. You're right. Yeah. So just underwhelming, disappointing, mediocre, yeah. which is far from what was promised. Just an overall top-down failure by the organization. And are you especially mad about this? Because I know you mentioned on an earlier episode that you're like a low-key Sixers fan. Yeah, so because you went to a Sixers game. Yeah, the Sixers, I, the first game I ever went to was Sixers Celtics in Philadelphia. And I've spent some time in Philadelphia just when I was in school. We would did our like a week long, uh, like our whatever that thing was called, the go the encounter yeah, yeah. trip or whatever. Yeah. So we worked with some uh, organizations in Philadelphia and stuff. So I've always been, I'm not a fan of a lot of their sports teams, but I've always kind of been a fan of the Sixers. And uh, wanted them to succeed at yeah. least to some extent and um, more so I'm just frustrated for their fans and uh, just I can identify with incompetent ownership and leadership so yeah, yeah. not well, good the other idiot I wanted to get to and it's not really any individual idiot I just this is like a whole separate topic can somebody please tell me what is going on with COVID tests in America? <sighs> Did you see all these NFL COVID tests? Yep, this so is a good one. The NFL tested, I think it was, I, don't, I, don't, I would have to look up the Adam Schefter tweet, mm-hmm. but it was over a certain period of time they issued like over 85,000 tests yeah. between players and personnel. And of all of that, there were only six like real cases that came back. Everything else that was positive was a false positive. Stupid. What is going on? Is this like if if this is the case in the NFL, what about everybody else in the world? Yeah. Is this our is our I just want to know. Like I'm not I'm not here to make a political comment or criticize. I'm literally asking a question here. If the NFL has that many tests, that wide of a sample size of tests and that few of a number that are actually positive cases and the mm-hmm. rest are false positives, then one, why is the accuracy of our testing so bad? Maybe you mass produced it before you should have. Mm-hmm. And two, is wh- are we actually in as bad of a state as we thought, or are we not? 
I mean, I'll believe you if you say we are, if you, like, but... Right. I don't... It, what's also puzzling to me is why do you never hear about citizens being told, oh, that's a false positive? You only hear about athletes being told it was a right, false positive. Right, because they care enough to really dig into the result because it really matters for the career. If somebody yeah. else gets a positive test, all right, I'll quarantine for two weeks. Right. And you would never know that it was a false positive. Yeah, it's what kind of testing are we using? Um, do we need to... It, and this affected the Lions specifically because Stafford was placed on this list and yeah. test, apparently tested positive. It was actually, I think, by Vent Sesh at one point. And yeah. then it comes out, it was a false positive, and his wife was actually upset with the Lions and the league for letting this be released because their kids are in school. They have yeah. to pull their kids out of school. Their neighbors are, like, freaked out. Their friends don't want to spend time with them, and it's a false positive the whole time. So it's... We are in for some... The NFL and all sports and... Yeah, all our, our country, country in general world. <laughs> needs to figure out how we're going to test for this and how we treat these results because, yeah, it's yeah. very concerning to see I you. I can't believe personally that this isn't becoming a bigger story news-wide. Yeah. Like, I can't believe, like, the NFL is a huge old corporation in our in this country. I can't believe more news sources aren't saying, aren't questioning how, and again, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm trying to say... Maybe we need to reevaluate the tests that are being done, yep. and we need to figure out a more efficient testing method. Mm-hmm. If if tests are what needs to be done in order to determine if somebody has COVID or not, this is clearly not working if the NFL had this many false positives. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. The Bears, like, they, they had all these reporters come on Sunday morning to witness the practice at, at uh, Hallis Hall. They stopped all the reporters at the gate and said you have to wait it's being postponed like it was like two or three hours because mm-hmm. the bears had nine positive tests well they turned it around and all of them were false positives yep. and it's just, it's just like what is going on just what is going on and also this is this is kind of event sesh now but i have people i know on facebook and stuff who have gotten these tests done and don't get anything back for two weeks some people have never even been called about the results of their tests yep and it's just like i i've also heard stories about people being called by a health provider that their test came back positive and the person said i never got tested <laughs> like what is going on yeah again I'm, I'm not trying to say that covid is a hoax because i know right, it's right. not yep. i'm just trying to say why is this so bad it's so it's so inaccurate. Fix and you it. have things happening like the Big Ten making huge sweeping decisions based on the data for COVID tests and stuff. And yes. these tests might not even be accurate. What are we've already ha- seen that inaccurate reporting of numbers. And now let's say you're accurately reporting the numbers, those numbers might be impacted by yeah, false tests. So how are we supposed to make any kind of decision for the future of sports and this country when the data is not even accurate? I mean, that's like well, and it's, 101 it's, of statistics and uh, gathering information. And to be honest, it's kind of a dessert. To me, it's kind of insulting to people who actually do have COVID, too. Because yeah. it's almost like, oh, all these people have COVID. Theirs just isn't as bad as yours. Or how about they just actually don't have it? Yeah. And, like, you have the Big Ten and Pac-12 making these sweeping generalizations, like you said. And then... I don't. Did you hear about the story about the quarterback from? It was like it's not a Power Five conference, but it's in this. It's like a Georgia school, mm-hmm. but he 
developed a heart condition from having COVID yeah. and is not able to play this season. Right. So, like, you have very serious cases of it, but it. I feel like everything's being over. I I don't know if I, it's safe to say everything's being overblown. I just think everything's being judged on inaccurate information. Yep. No, I anyway. get you. And, yeah, frustrating. Yes, I'm very frustrated. <laughs> so... Very briefly, just to plug some stuff. Fresh this day and night. Fresh this with the light. Plug it in, plug it in. Our Street Shot Sports lineup is Frustration Nation on Tuesday, Frustration Nation on Thursday. Wednesday's off the cuff. Wednesday night at 8.30 Central Time on Twitch is, oh, excuse me, is uh, Dad Bod Central. That's tomorrow. Uh, Saturday is Big Daddy Juice Power Hour at 8.30 Central Time. Every day you have Auntie Up with Richie Chicago where he helps you figure out where your Thrive Fantasy. All right. So, by the way, Thrive Fantasy is a place where you can do prop bets. And so he goes o- over kind of the overs and unders. And it's an app. You should go download it. And the Thrive Fantasy app, what's the best thing about it is that you don't have to do a lot of research. You can just go into the app and you select whether you want some be somebody's line to be over or under and that's about it and then you obviously can make money depending on how you place in different tournaments from thrive fantasy and the best news is you can make money when you sign up with us because if you use the code fn fantasy when you sign up you get twenty dollars given to you for free on top of your first twenty dollar uh twenty dollar deposit in thrive fantasy so go to thrive fantasy their website Get the app, sign up, use FN Fantasy to get that additional 20 and go make some money. And then lastly, we have our weekly power play with Hockey Bob, and he kind of breaks down the NHL bubble and the NHL playoffs um, this week. All right. So there's been a lot of frustration this episode, but we need to find a silver lining. So, man of the Michigan hat, do you have anything positive or uplifting to share, or are you just a human black hole void of any emotion other than anger? Yeah, so, listeners, or uh, you furious, I don't know how many of you watch, uh, like, sports-themed shows on Netflix or Prime or whatever. Um, I don't so watch aside a from, Yeah, aside from, and I didn't used to, aside from watching actual oh, sports. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then there's obviously more, like, documentaries, like 30 for 30s and all that. But I hadn't really been into, like, the sports fiction kind of shows. Um, but more recently, I've been watching on Netflix the show All-American. Uh, so it's a fictional account of high school wide receiver and kind of the way he's recruited. He transfers to a new school, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's been cool, like a sports-themed drama or uh, like a fictional series. Yeah. Uh, I'm most of the way done with season one, so I would nice. recommend it. I don't know how the show ends yet, but uh, yeah, it's just been something fun to watch. Uh, what cool. about you, Furious? Yeah, for me, mine is almost more of a sigh of relief um, for my silver lining. Uh, my parents moved, and nice. it's a sigh of relief because they've had 
I, I'm not going to get into all the details, but they've had about the most dramatic experience I could ever explain hmm. of trying to find a house. Um, they had several different houses that they had been looking at and were very close to buying several of these different houses at different times throughout the past six months or so. Hmm. And a lot of, for various reasons, things fell through and they finally got one and they moved in. And basically, I'm just happy because they're finally at peace. They can settle. They don't have to worry about this anymore. And it's not like my parents are super old, but it's still like as their kid, you get concerned just about stress and things like that. Yep. Like you don't, you know, stress studies have shown is one of like the biggest impacts on heart health. And I'm just happy that they're moved in. The other thing that's more of a sigh of relief is today was my I'm, I'm you know my t- I'm a teacher for my day job. Mm-hmm. Today was my first day of school with students in person or not in person live on Zoom, um, and it's kind of funny because it's it's been a nightmare this summer trying to figure out and anticipate what the district is going to have us do, and it honestly will continue to be a nightmare trying to navigate. This very challenging method of teaching, mm-hmm. but I'm thankful that school started uh, because they already delayed it one week, and I was kind of coming out with the opinion like you just need to start yeah. and go, and the sooner you go, the sooner you will figure things out because the wheels will be turning, and yeah, mm-hmm. you might need to stop for pit stops along the way, but if you just keep it going, you will Get make it to the end. Them. Yep. Yeah. So I'm. I'm just thankful and I'm kind of relieved that school started and that my parents moved. Nice. So anyway, this episode was very frustration juicy for you. (laughs) Just like every day Shane and I are juicy for each other. Mm. That's what we're juicy about today. What about you? Share your juices with us. <laughs> Please don't, actually. Or about us. <laughs> Real FN podcast on social media or frustration nation at shootyourshotsports.com or go voice your juices and leave us a review. And if you're juiced that this episode is over because you wanted to hear more, be sure to look for new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday everywhere you can get podcasts and be sure to subscribe. If you get as juicy as we do or you just enjoy hearing us gab, consider supporting the show on Patreon for a monthly subscription or Venmo tip jar for a one-time donation. Every little bit helps. Even $1, which is $1 more than how much Tom Brennan will make for the rest of his broadcasting career which I also thought was going to be the funniest line in our closing. (laughs) Turned out it's not. (laughs) Makes a big difference for us. We appreciate the support. Now get out there and... Frustrate the juice. Juice. Yeah, frustrate the (laughs) juice. The juice is loose. Well, okay, real quick, final funny story. When oh, no, we, went, we went to a Chinese buffet last year, 
um, back when you still could go to buffets. Um, <laughs> I think we're past the, the golden days. age of yeah, yeah. <laughs> buffets. But anyway, it was a Chinese golden buffet. Oh, I hate that place. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a guy who we were sitting at our table eating. A guy came in, a huge guy, like at least. And you'll joke about people being big. Like this guy was at least 500 pounds. Oops, like he yeah. took that whole half of the like that side of the table up, and it's like a three chair table. Uh, so there's a massive guy. And he has a beach towel, like, Uh-oh. around his neck. And the oh whole time gosh. he... I thought you were going to say around his waist. Like, <laughs> no. He, has a, <laughs> like, he brings a beach towel with him. And during the whole meal, it's just constantly wiping his forehead and under oh, his arms nasty. with this that's beach nasty. towel. Because he's sweating so profusely at this buffet. I'm just sitting there like, dude, like, evaluate <laughs> your life right now. <laughs> You're sitting at a buffet by yourself. Taking up a whole side of the table with a beach towel because you knew you'd be sweating that much. Like, probably yeah. from all the all the exercise he had to get from getting up to from his table and going and getting <laughs> you the mean fresh I had to get plate up three <laughs> times. Yeah, <right. laughs> three times for platefuls just for my appetizer. <laughs> That's right. 